Well, if you're watching online today, I will invite you to take a minute and uh, go find uh, some emblems for communion, if you can. I meant to do a post earlier, but I, I didn't. So thank you for that. But uh, if you would like to um, participate in communion in just a little while, I'll invite you at home to go ahead and grab a little piece of bread, cracker, and a little bit of juice or something along those lines. But we'd invite you to, to do that this morning. Well, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is the Lord of creation, the source of reconciliation. Jesus is the reason for our hope. Jesus is the strength to live a new life. Jesus is our Redeemer. He's 100% fully God. Jesus is the head of the church, the resurrected one, the peacemaker between God and humanity. He is the one who works mightily in us. Somebody say amen. I am thankful that it is his work in my life and not my own. Because if I put my own hand to it, Lord knows I'm going to fail again and again and again. Because believe it or not, we cannot save ourselves. I don't know if you know that or not. Say, I can't save myself. Now, how many here would consider themselves to be a strong swimmer? All right, I got my wife and Frank. If you're online, just let us know. If we were to take a helicopter or a ship and drop you in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and said, swim to shore, could you do it? Could you do it? If I just brought you to the middle of Lake Superior, just over here, and dropped you in the lake, do you think you could swim to shore? All right, let's do something more realistic. If I dropped you halfway between here and the Slate Islands... Do you think you could make it? Maybe. It's very cold. That is certainly for sure. The bottom line is, is, if we were to do any of those things, you would reach a point of freezing, hypothermia, and exhaustion, and your only hope would be for somebody else to come and do what? Save you. And that's exactly where we stand in this world. Without Jesus, we are simply without hope. We are just drowning in the middle of the ocean without Jesus. There's nothing that we can do to save us. And that is why I am so grateful today. I am so thankful today that we have a Savior. I am so thankful today that God sent his one and only Son to save us. And why would he do that? Because he loves us. Now, you and I in this room online, you may know that already, but I want you to know that there are people in our world, in our very own communities, who do not even know they are in need of a Savior. There are people who do not even know that Jesus was a real person. There are people who believe that he was a real person, but he's no longer alive today. But what was the promise we talked about two weeks ago? Jesus said to his disciples, and he says to us, I will never leave you. Or the five words I said we could remember were, I am always with you. I am always with you. And so we believe that this morning, that Jesus is here right now in our midst. We believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we believe today that Jesus 
wants to reach those who are far from God and bring them into his family. We already sang it about this morning that there is no one greater. There's no place that I would rather be. There is no one like our God. We're going to sing that song in a few minutes. We've got a few more songs of worship we want to sing together. But the course of the, or the bridge of the next song is, there is no one like our God. We will praise you. There's nowhere else I'd rather be than in the presence of Jesus. Because that is what we were created to do. And yet there are people that are so far from God that are without hope. And he wants to use you and he wants to use me. He wants to use us together to reach out. And so we're looking at the ways that we can do that. And we're calling it the Jesus Method. Not because it's a fancy name, but we're going to do things the way that Jesus did things. Does that sound pretty good to you? Because that sounds pretty good to me. If we're going to do it Pastor Gary's way, we will fail. If we're going to do it Pastor Katie's way, we're going to fail. If we're going to do it Frank's way, we got a chance. <laughs> no, we'll fail. We're going to do it Mackenzie's way. We'll fail. We want to do it Jesus' way because Jesus is the reason we're here. See, it's not just about, as, as I, I will tell, my wife will tell the cheesy story of our engagement. I made this really super cheesy line as we're climbing up this mountain where I'm about to propose to her. And I said, you know, it's not just about the destination, it's about the journey as well. And it was super ridiculous and cheesy. But the truth of the matter is, how we get somewhere truly does matter. And how we get to Jesus and how we get to God really truly does matter matter. Because not all ways lead to heaven. Not all paths lead to God. Now there can be, there are stories, people are having dreams, there's incredible moves of the Holy Spirit around the world where people are practicing their faith and they're looking for one thing and Jesus miraculously shows up. I can think of one story in the Bible in particular, there's a man, he is out persecuting the church. He is one of the most ruthless, terrifying members that you could ever imagine. And he's on, a, on his horse on a road to Damascus, and all of a sudden he has an incredible encounter with Jesus, where Jesus appears to him, and he's blinded, and all he can see is Jesus. And he says, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Jesus begins in that moment a point of transformation, a starting point in Paul's life to turn things around. And what does Paul do? He turns his life around. He has a miraculous experience with Jesus. But do you know how the rest of the churches were planted in the New Testament? They were planted by the followers of Jesus. They were planted by Paul himself. They were planted by pastors who Paul had coached and trained and taught. The church was started by the 12 men that Jesus had poured into for over three years. And so if we want to see Jesus move in our community. If we want to see people who are far from God get closer to God, we're going to adopt the Jesus method. And the first thing that we learned in this series was that Jesus didn't care about the crowds. He loved them. He wanted them close to his Father. But for those who were unwilling, he was willing to let go for a season because his focus was on 12 men in that moment, 12 disciples that would go on to change the world. He kept his laser focus, and so he picked people who were willing to follow him to the very ends of the earth and even till death if necessary. 
He didn't pick the cream of the crop in human eyes. And we know that God, from the the time David was appointed an anointed king, we know that God doesn't look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so when we are reaching people for Jesus and we're sharing our stories, our testimonies, when we're sharing our experiences, there's going to be people that don't want to hear it. And the only thing that we can do in that moment is to love them, to bless them, and to pray for them. But the people that we take along with us are the willing. The ones that are willing to come to church with you on a Sunday morning. The ones that are willing to jump in online with you on a Sunday morning. The ones that are willing to sit and listen. Those are the ones you invest your time in. And little by little, sometimes it's a bam, big moment like that. Sometimes it's a process. But over time, people get a softer and softer heart the more time you spend with them. That was what Jesus did. His guys were pretty rough around the edges. If you read some of the stories and and some of the arguments that they would have, and they would follow Jesus, you know, almost three years, day and night, and closer to the end of his ministry, he finds his disciples having this argument on who the favorite disciple is. Which one of us do you love the most, Jesus? Like, if you were to get hit by a bus and die, which one of us would take your place? And they're having this argument, and one of them, you know, you know it's pretty sad when you have to get your mom involved, Right? Like, I'm better than you, and my mom tells me so, and I'm going to get her to tell you that. That's exactly what happened to Jesus' followers, the closest guys that followed him. These guys were not perfect by any means, and yet Jesus saw a willingness willingness in them, and they were willing to transform, they were willing to be taught, and they were willing to be open to correction and sometimes pretty harsh rebuke. Peter, he is one of the most famous, of course, because he's probably the most famous because he's also one of the most loud-mouthed disciples out there. If you've ever put your foot in your mouth like I do on a regular basis, you will understand Peter. Sometimes it's better to stop talking and to just not talk or say anything at all. Somebody say amen. So you're doing it right now, Pastor Gary. Just stop. No. The point is, is that Jesus can take anybody who is willing. And so as we move about our days and as we share our faith and experiences, we're doing the same thing. We're going for the willing. And when we decide and we find people that are willing, we're going to take the same promise that Jesus made to them and we're going to make that same promise back to them. I will never leave you. No matter what, I'm in your court. No matter what, I'm, I'm, I'm by your side. Hey, you know what? You made a few mistakes. It's okay. I know that my God is bigger than your mistakes, and he's with you. Jesus is with you, and so you know what? I'm with you. Doesn't mean I'm condoning the behavior. Doesn't mean I'm, I'm endorsing what you've done. But it's just enough to say, hey, I am with you. If you've ever read the book um, Love Does by Bob Goff, he tells an incredible story as he's early trying to figure out life and trying to figure out faith of this. And I, I don't know if I could do this, but his youth pastor, young adults pastor, he shows up at his house and he says to him, hey, I'm out. I'm taken off. And so the youth pastor says, give me 30 seconds. He goes and fills up his backpack with a change of clothes, jumps in the car with him, and they take off for this road trip. He's basically running away, and the the pastor jumps in the car with him and says, okay, I'm with you. And through this whole entire weekend or week, you can read the book and get the details for yourself. It's Love Does by Bob Goff. Great, Great book to read. 
the whole weekend, you know, they just have these conversations of faith and life and direction. You know, young man just trying to figure out where he's going in life, all of these kinds of things. And he says, look, man, I'm with you. And they finally decides, okay, it's time for me to go back home. I think I know what my next step is. And so he brings the youth pastor back to his house, and he finds out that that young pastor had just gotten married and was basically on his honeymoon and said to his new bride, hey, honey, I got to go take care of something with this young guy. I think my wife would, would kill me if I did that. But that's what it means to be with somebody. You know, we're going to sing a song in a little bit called Reckless Love and, and, and about how, just how far God is willing to go for us. You know, Jesus tells three parables, one about the lost coin and the woman that rejoices when she finds it. She tells everybody. She says, it was lost and I found it. You know, she probably didn't have a lot of coins to begin with. It might have been her only coin. And so when she found it, there was great rejoicing. Jesus then tells another parable about the shepherd and his sheep. Now, he's got 100 sheep. One of them wanders away. 99 of them he leaves behind. They're safe. They're in the pen. He's got under shepherds to take care of them, but he goes after the one that has wandered away. Because that's my sheep. Nothing is going to happen to that, to that sheep because that's my sheep, and I'm going to go after it. And that's the same love that he looks at you and looks at me. He looks at the world around us and says, look at all these people that are far from me. I want to do whatever it's going to take to reach them because they're mine. And so he goes out and he finds the sheep. And then he tops off the three parables with one of the greatest parables and stories ever told in the Bible, and you've probably heard it before, the story of the prodigal son. The man has two sons, and the one son is, is, is tired of working his father's farm, and he says, Dad, I know that when you die, I get half the farm, my brother gets the other half. How about this? How about we sell the farm now, half of it, and you give me my inheritance now, and I will leave, and I will go make much more money than you could ever fathom or imagine. Well, we might know what happens if you've ever heard the story before. He gets this incredible inheritance, and he goes, and he spends it all. Loses everything. In fact, he, lo he lost more than he had started with before he got his inheritance. And so here's this young Jewish young man just kind of coming into his own, and we find him at the lowest of lows. He's eating with the pigs. One of the most unclean things a young Jewish boy could ever do was, was to be seen working with swine. And he says, look at this. Even the servants in my father's house are treated better than I am right now. I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to beg him for a job on his farm. I'm going to swallow my pride. I'm going to take this step of faith and I'm just going to hope for the best here. And, and, and we see this beautiful picture as the father is sitting, you know, we kind of fit this image in our mind. He's sitting on the front porch. Maybe he's working in the field, whatever the case is. But from a distance, he can see his lost son, the one that had rebelled, the one that had ran away. We see the father see him from a distance, and he calls his servants. He says, bring me my best coat, bring me my ring, and he runs to his son who is dirty, who is filthy, who is ceremonially unclean, all of these things. And what does he do? He embraces him and says, welcome home. Puts his coat around him, takes his ring, and says, that is my son. And the world is going to know it because now you have the ring on my finger 
you're wearing my robe, and we are going to celebrate and have a party. We're going to find the biggest cow we can find, and we're going to slaughter it, we're going to eat it, and we're going to have a party because what was lost has now been found. That's how our Heavenly Father feels about you and me when we come home. He celebrates you. He loves you, and it doesn't matter what has taken place. That is how big his love is. And so if we want to follow the example of Jesus, we realize today that there's no place that Jesus wouldn't go. There's nothing that Jesus wouldn't do to reach those who are far from him. Now, not everybody followed. Not everybody, not everybody was interested in, in who he was. And we're going to talk about that right now. Now, you can read in Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30, and Jesus talks about uh, the, the burdens and the weak. And he says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and the burden is light. And he's talking about a number of different things here, but the bottom line is this, is that sometimes following Jesus can be difficult. Following Jesus can be a challenge. There's going to be moments we're going to be pushed out of our comfort zone. Jesus is going to ask us to do things that we don't want to do. Or there's things in our life that we do all the time, things that we've always done, things that our families have always done. And one day Jesus is going to tap on our shoulder and go, hey, if if you're going to follow me with everything, it's time that we work on a few things in you. And the things that you used to do, you cannot do anymore. Because that is not who you are. You are mine. You have the ring my ring on your finger. You have my coat. And so the things that you used to do, you don't do anymore because I am with you and you are mine. And we call this obedience. Somebody say obedience. Now, it's not about obedience. What is it really about? It's about consecration, about being consecrated. You know, there's a great old hymn, Take my life, let it be, consecrated Lord to thee. This word consecrated is something that Jesus was doing through process and time with his disciples. He was leading them closer to the Father. He was consecrating them. Every time they took a misstep, he brought correction. You know, I talked about the sheep and the shepherds, and the shepherd left the 99 to go after the one. Now, I don't know if you know this about sheep, but they're not the brightest of animals. We've talked about this before. Sheep really do need a shepherd, Because a sheep that is wandering is a sheep that is dead, generally speaking. Uh, A sheep is like, needs to be cared for. It's it's really difficult to, to, to deal with sheep because they are dumb. They are. Now let's just sing that old Sunday school song together. I just want to be a sheep. Well, I just said that sheep are dumb. The fact of the matter is, is that sheep get into trouble all the time. And so if they don't hear the voice of their shepherd, if they don't follow the voice of their shepherd, they get lost. They get to a stream that is too, too fast moving and they try to take a drink. And, and I don't know if you know this, but sheep have lots of wool on them. And if you put wool in water, it doesn't float. It just sinks. And, you know, it's, 
it's, I don't think you've ever, I've never Googled a YouTube to sheep drowning before. I don't think I will. But you can imagine that it's not a very pleasant experience. And so that's why David in Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd because I'm just a sheep. And where does the Lord lead me? He doesn't say he leads me to Lake Superior. He leads me to the bottom of the Agasaban Falls. No, he takes me beside still waters where things are calm, where I can drink in peace and be free and be safe. But the shepherd demands that the sheep follow him because the intentions of the shepherd are good. He says, these are my sheep. I will let nothing happen to them. And of course, we talk about Jesus being our good shepherd, but we know that David himself was an excellent shepherd. He learned how to use a sling with great accuracy. So it's no wonder. I mean, we talk about the David and Goliath story that, you know, David was just this little boy facing this big old giant. But the fact of the matter is, is that David was actually a skilled fighter. He had fought off bears and he had fought off lions. Next time, if you're in Terrace Bay and you see the Terrace Bay Bay Bear Watch on Facebook, next time you see the bear... Put your, put your David on, okay? Read a few of David's experiences and say, you know, if David could do it, so could I. And I want you to go wrestle a bear, okay, before they hibernate. Do you think any of us are able to do that? Anyone's willing to go and wrestle a bear? Come on. Come on, Abby. It's all you. You can do it. When youth happens Thursday night and there's a bear in the parking lot before all the kids go home, we're not going to teach the kids to hide inside. I don't care what the policy says. We're going to teach them to become giant slayers, Amen. But the fact is that God keeps us safe from harm. His intentions are good, and so we are his. We're consecrated to him, and to be consecrated to him means obedience. And that's exactly what he demanded of his followers. The old thought patterns, habits, and pleasures of this world had to be converted to the new disciplines of the kingdom of God. Perfection of love was now the only standard of conduct. And this love that God has given to us and this love that we return to God is manifested in obedience. Everything that we do is because Jesus modeled it for us. Everything Jesus did himself was in obedience to his Father. And did you know that Jesus did things that he didn't want to do? Someone says, really? So look at the prayer that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father, if there's any other way, If you can take this cup from me, if there's any other way, let it be so. I do not want to go through with this. And yet in that moment, even though he prayed that prayer to his father, he knew what the answer was. Let that be comforting to us because there's going to be moments in our lives where Jesus is going to tell us, hey, go over to that person. Hey, this person, it might be just a small voice in the Holy Spirit saying, go here, go there. Hey, I want you to give a little bit more to that person or that cause. And it's okay to say to us, God, are you sure? I don't really want to do that right now. God can handle the the questions, but he's looking for our obedience. Because if we truly love God, then we will follow him anywhere. 
You know, there's a story where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And I don't know if he was under any obligation to feed them, but the crowds were coming, the, end, the day was coming to an end, and the people were hungry. And Jesus said, I'm going to take this moment, I'm going to test my disciples. And he says to Philip, his one disciple. Now, Philip, he was kind of like your very strategic planning, very administrative kind of guy. He looked after all the details, very detail-oriented person. How many need those people in your life? Okay, how many of you would say those people drive you crazy as well, right? If you're not an administrative person, you kind of like to go with the flow, you like to take it easy. People that are like straight-laced by the book, they drive you absolutely bonkers. But we need them. And so that's who Philip was. And so he starts doing the math, and he says, Jesus, there's 5,000 people out there. Even if we had eight months' wages, that's not even enough to give every single person a bite of food. Are you nuts? Are you crazy? And so, test failed. Andrew, Peter's brother, Andrew, he's one of the guys that you want in your court. He's quiet. He's probably an internal processor, not as loud mouth as his brother Peter. Just quiet guy, always serving, always loving, working in the background. He comes up and says, hey, Jesus, I found a boy who's got some food. He says, here he is, Jesus. He's got two little fish and a small loaf of bread. And Jesus goes, all right, let's give thanks. And then you guys start handing the food out to everybody. And he performs this incredible miracle and everyone eats that day. An amazing test of faith. So if you don't think that Jesus is going to test your faith, you're wrong, all right? And if you fail the test, it's okay. He didn't kick Philip out. He says, sorry, Philip, you failed. You're out. He's not saying to you detail-oriented strategic planners. He's not saying there's not room for you in my kingdom. In fact, I think the opposite is true. But he says, we need to take a step of faith. If you want to see a miracle, sometimes you have to take a step of faith. Actually, I think every time you have to take a step of faith. And so what happens, the crowd is amazed. They say, hey, this guy's pretty good. This is the best socialist project I've seen yet. No Roman official has given me food, and yet here Jesus is. This is a sweet deal. And so they said, we've got to follow this guy and see if he's got something else for us. Maybe there's cake and dessert or pumpkin pie and whipped cream on the other side of the lake. And so Jesus needs to, he sees that the crowd is getting excited. They say, hey, we like this welfare guy. We like this stuff that's going on. Let's, let's follow him. Let's make him our king. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 I'm not here to be your earth. Earthly king. And he says, let's go, guys. They jump in the boat. They go to the other side of the lake. The crowd follows them. Jesus goes up on the mountain. They say, hey, Jesus, we're hungry. Give us some food. And then Jesus gives them this big message on how he is the bread of life. And all the crowd that is there, they stand there kind of going, we don't care, Jesus. Give us something to eat. And we see something very important here in this moment. It may even su seem surprising to some of us, but Jesus did not go running after the crowd to try to get them to stay. And see, but Pastor Gary, if we did all of these things and it made people so happy and, and it made a good impression on people, we should just do more of that. You know, we're, 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 I'm still working with the high school and trying to figure out from the school board about doing hot dog lunch and this and that. I mean, giving hot dogs out is great, but that's not, we don't do it because kids are hungry. Some of them are. They're teenagers. They're always hungry. They're always going to want food. Amen? 
But what we have to offer them is a hope in Jesus for the rest of their lives. You know, how great is it for a person who's young to find Jesus in their young age and serve them their entire lives than to have to take the hard road and make a few big mistakes along the way? I bet many of us who have taken that path would agree, I wish I would have known Jesus and followed him sooner. But Jesus didn't trace the crowds. He was training leaders for the kingdom. And if they were going to be fit vessels of service, they were going to have to pay the price. And sometimes paying the price means getting rejected, getting let down, feeling like you've let people down. Some people are just not going to like us. Or they might like us, but they're going to want to have nothing to do with what we believe. That's okay. That's okay. Because we go back to step number one. Who did Jesus search out and go after? He went for the willing. He went for the willing. Does that mean he doesn't care? He doesn't love for those? Of course not. He died for the entire world, even those that rejected him. Not one of Jesus' disciples could follow him through the course of their lives without turning loose the ways of the world. You know, there's one disciple. He tried. He held on to his beliefs. He held on to his personal desires as long as he possibly could. Basically to the last day. And that was Judas. He tried to hold on to his old life. He tried to get rich the best way that he could. And he stayed with Jesus until the very end. But of course, at the end of the day, his life ends in tragedy. He betrays Jesus thinking, I'm, I'm going to be able to get ahead here. I've gone as far as I can with him. I'm going to get ahead. I'm, I've gone as far as I can go. I think I'm set. I'm good. And then he realizes what has truly taken place, and his life ends in tragedy. While the price of our salvation has certainly been paid by Jesus, following him is an all-in all the time affair. Somebody say all in. All in, all the time. We can say the right things, do the right things, wear the right clothes, give a substantial amount of money, make it look like we're doing well. We can go to church on Sunday. We can log in online for church. We can do all the right things that look good on the outside, but the bottom line is this. We can even try to, this, and this is probably the number one thing that we see in churches across North America is that we see people trying to do things to make it look good. If I, you know, if I go to church a little bit more, God will have mercy on me and things will go well for me. We may not say those words, but that is how we act many times. Many people behave this way. You know, if I just actually give a little bit more this week, then things are going to go a little bit better for me. Did you know that there's nothing that you could do to earn God's love? Does Jesus want you to surrender everything? Yes. Does he want you to say the right things? Yes. Does he want you to come be a part of a family and a church group? Yes, he does. Do doing those things make you a Christian? No, they do not. Because obedience really only comes from the heart. Obedience only comes from the heart. And that's why Jesus comes to transform us, not from the outside in. You know, we don't have on the, on the door, the only dress code we have right now is that you put your mask on before you come in the building. Now, you shouldn't wear inappropriate clothes anywhere in public, church included. But you know what? If someone walked in and that's all they had, they can sit right here on the couch if they really want to. I really hope we'd go get them some nice clothes if we needed them to. But anybody can walk through the door because Jesus doesn't care what we look like. He wants to know what's on the inside. 
He came to change from the inside out. Many came to Jesus, but many were not willing to count the cost and follow him unconditionally. You know, it's so refreshing after Jesus feeds the 5,000, after Jesus gets rejected by the 5,000, he turns to his disciples. And let's go to, I'm just going to read this over here from John chapter 6 today. Because this is where we find this story. See, Pastor Gary, you haven't read the Bible yet today. You've just told Bible stories. That's right, I have. But this is what he says in John chapter 6, 68 to 69. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Hey, Jesus, you are pretty harsh on that crowd. Who can accept it? These are the guys that are like sold out following him. Verse 68, chapter 6 of John. Jesus, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? Verse 61. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, right? Because they're, they're celebrating this moment. Hey, we had 44 kids come out to youth on Thursday night. Wow, that's amazing. You know what happens when we then stand up and say, hey, this is what Jesus wants for your life. Now, my prayer is that we'd see 44 multiplied. But if we follow reality and statistics, you know, even four, that's four more kids. If they make a decision to follow Jesus, that's four kids that weren't serving Jesus before. And what does God do when someone comes home? He celebrates. It says when someone turns their life around and accepts Jesus, all heaven celebrates like a crazy loud party. Because it's not about the numbers. It's about the transformation that takes place. But his disciples are like, Jesus, there was a huge crowd here. Your kingdom is growing. This is amazing. And Jesus says, they're not really with us. Not yet. This is hard for them to hear. Where the disciples are grumbling, he goes on. By the end of it, verse 67, Jesus says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Fair question. That's what he asked the 12. And Simon Peter opens his big mouth and says the right thing because sometimes he does. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know, these guys were able to grasp something that the crowd didn't. They walked with Jesus long enough to know that there was nothing better. And what Jesus was offering them was certainly more than enough. By this point, they're sold out. To whom would we go to? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. What an incredible testimony. We have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. If we are in this room today, I imagine that many of us here, and if you're online, many of us have come to this understanding that Jesus is who he said he was. That Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is alive that Jesus saves us. We believe that. We've had that experience. We've had that transformation take place. I'm thankful for the grace today. Supreme obedience is interpreted to be the greatest expression of love. Supreme obedience is interpreted to be the greatest expression of love. As my Father loved me in John 15, so have I loved you. 
Remain in my love. Remain in obedience. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remained in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and the joy may be complete. Joy is an amazing byproduct of following Jesus. Because when we have this holy joy, it doesn't matter what happens in our life. It doesn't matter what people say about us. It doesn't matter what things happen to us. It doesn't matter the situation because when we are with Jesus, we are full of joy. If you're not full of joy, we're doing it wrong. That doesn't mean we don't experience sadness. That doesn't mean we don't experience pain and grief and loss and all of these things. But in the middle of our suffering, we can have joy and joy to the full. And so what happens? The disciples, they live this, they believe it, they receive it, and they begin to teach it everywhere they went. You know, just as parents, we teach our children, this is how you become a good citizen. And we don't just teach them and tell them, but we show them, we live it out. Because how we follow Jesus matters. How we lead other people to Jesus matters. We can't say one thing and do another. No one follows a hypocrite. Here's a simple prayer that I have for Thanksgiving Sunday today. Simple as this. May I show my thankfulness by living my life in a way that is pleasing to you, God. May I show my thankfulness by living a life which is pleasing to you, God. There's nothing that we could do to ever pay Jesus back for the price he paid for us. It wouldn't be a gift if we did. But we can do is surrender all all in, all the time. We show our gratitude by living our lives in a way that is pleasing to him. And that is obedience. We don't do it out of obligation. We don't do what Jesus tells us to do. We don't live our lives the way Jesus tells us because we're obligated to. But if we truly love God, we can't help it. If we're truly thankful for what God has done, we simply cannot help it. I'm going to show you a video. You guys know this young guy is going to share. It's a little bit longer than I expected him to do it, but that's okay. But we had the privilege of being with our good friend Nick the last year and a bit, 13 months, and he never had a chance to share his story. Now, I know the clock is going on a little bit. That's okay. Pastor Gary talked too long again. I know. Was it okay? Was it a good word? I thought it was. You felt like you were with me, so it's good. But Nick's going to share his story, and then we're going to share a video at the end of his story of an act of obedience. He felt that it was time, long overdue, that he would be baptized in water. And so Nick is going to share his story. And one thing I want to highlight before you watch this video that Brandon's going to play for us is that throughout his life, as he talks about how he followed Jesus from a young child... He talks about all the different things that God asked him to do. And you know what I admire about Nick's answer? Is that every time God told him to do something, he did it. Has he been perfect? By his own admission, he would tell you no. But this is an amazing testimony of what it looks like in real life to follow Jesus. So Brandon, let's play this video. And then when this video is done, we're going to sing a song of worship and we're going to partake in communion together. So go ahead and hit play, Brandon. Good morning, everyone. Or if I say it in Pastor Gary's child, good morning, everybody. 
how's everyone doing this sunday it's good to see everybody joining in person and online oh i can't copy pastor gary more than this he is too awesome for that well while you will be watching this video i will be traveling to bc and currently i'm shooting this video from winnipeg and i'm on my way already to bc so everybody who has been watching online it's great it's amazing because i will also be joining now church sunday service every every sunday online so through this video i want to share before i uh, before i left terrace i had an awesome experience and i want to share my story how i came into terrace how, uh, the story of my faith what is it all about and how i came to terrace bay how did i had my first encounter with holy spirit so i was always a, um, I, i was born in a christian family and my parents parents always supported me to go to church from, right from my childhood i remember i was almost two or three years old when i started going to sunday school ministry and my parents used to drop me off so i believe that while in remaining uh, all my years which i have spent in sunday school that those years are the base of my life so all the faith all the dedication all the love towards god towards everybody which i have i learned it right from my childhood during my sunday school days i am very thankful for my sunday school teachers and everybody who has taught me all the things and which has uh, which has later on became base of my life so later on uh, as i started growing i went into different ministries of church i have been into uh, youth ministry i have led the uh, youth leader uh, i have been a youth leadership uh, part of youth leadership team i have been a president of youth uh, of a youth group in india in fact uh, the youth group of which i was president it had almost 8 to 900 youngsters in that group so it was a difficult task to manage every, everything but by god's grace everything was great and with all the years in different ministries remaining in church what i have found out found out is that god is awesome so every time i have put my trust into god for something he has done some incredible work for me in my life all my friends all my family family members all my relatives they tell me that you are a blessed child of god and i believe that yes i am because every time i have put my faith into something through through holy spirit or through the through the name of jesus it has got fulfilled for me i won't say that it has always got uh, i have always got what i wanted but i have always got what was appropriate for me even if i have not get got at the at that time what i wanted later on in my life i found out that that was not the appropriate thing for me and what i've got was uh, uh, was the definite thing which i was supposed to be getting and that took my life into a different direction so uh, when i was uh, to the recent i would like to give you a testimony before coming to canada in fact i received my canadian visa in february 2020 and i was having a very good job in india but because i had to be here in canada before july 6th because i got an immigrant visa so to activate my permanent residency i had to be in canada before july so i resigned from my job in february 2020 and in a hope that i will be traveling to canada in april or may last year but then in suddenly in one month by the end of march 2020 everything changed 
So there was COVID everywhere. Cases were rising in India and Canada. Flights were banned. International travel, nobody could do it. And suddenly I didn't, because I've already resigned from my job in India, I didn't had any job and my savings, it, it started get, getting declining. So everybody kept on telling me that in India, I should be looking for another job or I should be trying to talk to talk with my company that I should be taking my resignation back and I won't be able to fly to Canada. But before applying for a visa to Canada, I put that thing in my in my prayers and uh, I got my answer that I should be doing that. So what I always do is that whenever I'm in a dilemma or I'm stuck with something, I just put that into prayers and wait to get an answer. So I put this thing into my prayers that God, you have given me visa. What should I be doing? Should I be traveling? Should I be staying back? Should I be postponing my plans? So. After a few days, I got an answer in my prayer through the medium of Holy Spirit that if I have given you something, it means that you will go. Just put your faith and you will go. So I've told this to all my friends, my family, the relatives, everybody. So apart from my family, nobody was believing in, uh, in it. Everybody was telling me that, no, you should be postponing. Even if you reach there, the job, job market is too shady. You will not be able to get a job. What will you do there? So, yeah, that uh, considering all the facts, that was a um, uh, that was a good point. But another thing was that I got an answer in my prayers that I will be flying. I didn't know what I will be doing, but I will be flying. So I was since the flights were banned, international travel was banned. Still, I was packing all the things. I was trying to get ready, and suddenly, in May last year, I. Um, I know that there was an understanding between Canadian government and Indian government that there would be still, uh, some special flights which would be operating and those flights were supposed to be taking all the um, um, residents from Canada to India who want to go back to their home country. But they allowed some of the people who wants to travel to Canada, they can also come here. So I booked the ticket in, uh, in that flight, but before booking that ticket also, there was another story because I was for booking it for booking my ticket. All the tickets at that time were almost at the triple rate of what it supposed it was supposed to be originally. I didn't had any money to book my ticket, so well, I was totally reliant and totally dependent upon my full and final dues from my company, uh, in which I uh, I've already left my job. So I contacted my company, but they completely refused me. They said that they can't be uh, able to process my uh, full and final dues and they will not be able to provide me money until the offices re gets reopened. So everybody was working remotely and they will not be able to process my documentation. Again, everybody kept on telling me that since you don't uh, now we don't have money, so you should be st stop thinking about going and you should be trying something something else and postpone this plan. Of course, I could have postponed the plan, but still, my faith, uh, which was not, uh, it was not uh, letting me do that. So after four or five days, I don't know, I got a message on my phone that some money has been credited into my account. And guess what? It was the money from my company, which was supposed to be coming after the offices gets reopened. But I don't know who has processed the documentation, how the how did it got processed. And in the whole, uh, it got processed and I got the money. I came here to Canada. Then I was initially in Vancouver last year before coming to Terrace Bay. 
So everywhere, when I got a job here, first of all, I applied for a general labor job here in Terrace Bay, uh, AV Terrace Bay. So while doing all the process, I was thinking that I don't know how the hard uh, hard job it would be because I have already always worked in as an accountant or into finance or an admin job. So I didn't knew that how hard it will be, uh, it, uh, that job will be. So everybody kept on telling me that that's a small town, new town. Um, nobody was sure that what will I do over there as a laborer. So again, I put my faith in, uh, into God and I prayed about it. And then I took a decision that yes, I should be moving to Terrace Bay. In the meanwhile, I was doing all these things. Uh, one of uh, uh, one of the uh, admi one of the person who was working in the finance department as a cost analyst, he resigned from the company, and he knew uh, that my, my profile. I have been uh, already. I have shared my resume with him, and he referred me for his job because he knew that I've always worked into finance department. So when I got interviewed, I got that job and the job which was a, I was supposed to be coming for, it was a labor job and then I, uh, uh, the job which I actually came for was the cost analyst and, and finance department. So that was answered again by God that, yeah, you should get ready and see uh, whatever happens. Everybody was telling me that it's a small town we don't know how would you survive or anything. But I would say that it was the best decision I have made in my life. Coming to Terrace Bay, meeting you lovely people, all the lovely people, our pastors, Pastor Gary, Pastor Katie, my co-youth leaders, Frank, everybody, Nancy, Brenda, I met some awesome people, everybody of you, all the families in North Shore Church. I'm so thankful to you for giving me all the love and all the support which you've given me from last one year. So before, uh, uh, now I got a job in BC and I never thought that I would be leaving Terrace with this soon, but uh, I, I, I again, I prayed about it and I got an answer that maybe for the time being, God have some different plans for my life. So I'm moving to BC, but before going from Terrace Bay, I've always from from last few years, I've always had a thought that I will be getting baptized, but I was waiting for the right person to come into my life who would baptize me. I was waiting for the right pastor. And I would say that before going to uh, going away from Terrace Bay, I again got a thought. And this time uh, I sent a message to Pastor Gary that Pastor Gary, before me leaving Terrace Bay, can you baptize me? Because Pastor Gary has been, as I've always told him, that he has been the best pastor in my life. I've never seen a pastor who loves his congregation more than this. He loves everybody and that love is awesome. So before going to Terrace Bay, going away from Terrace Bay, I got baptized. I'm sure that that video of my baptism will be played, will be played along with this. And Along with this, I, uh, as I told you that I would be telling my, uh, I have had different encounters with Holy Spirit. I've had it with my, uh, with my friend in India. We, we used to pray together and we used to have all awesome experiences. Then multiple times I've prayed at Frank Cappy's house. We used to have um, a lot of experiences and we, uh, we got the gift of speaking in different tongues and different languages. So it was all through God and Holy Spirit is amazing. 
and before going away from Terrace Bay, now I've been baptized. Thanks, thanks to uh, Pastor Gary, and I'm really thankful to all the North Shore Church family who have given me so much of love. And I, uh, I feel that I'm blessed that uh, I've spent my last 13 months in Terrace Bay, and in a hope, and I pray about it that I hope that I will be visiting Terrace Bay again very soon. Thank you so much. Have a great Sunday and amazing week ahead. Thank you. Well, hello everybody. Here I am with Nick. We're about to go in the water and we're going to baptize Nick today. So here's what it says in the book of Romans, chapter 6. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can you say we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a life that is new. Nick, we're here to celebrate today your new life. We're here to celebrate the moment you go in the water that the old has gone and the new has come. So on the confession of your faith in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we'll baptize you today. Are you prepared? Yep. Now, are you prepared for the cold water today? <laughs> I hope so. All right. Here you go. Hold that. All right. Well, let's go. Son of the Holy Spirit, I baptize you. Like you know. Woo! Woo! Wow. 